Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to welcome back Dr. Louis Fatoui, an author and researcher in Islamic studies and comparative religion. You are most welcome, sir. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much for inviting me back to this fantastic, excellent and really unique channel. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say that. For those who don't know, um, Dr. Fatoui was born in Baghdad in Iraq and migrated to the UK in the 1990s. He has a PhD in astronomy from Durham University, one of Britain's top universities. Uh, he came originally from a Christian family, but reversed to Islam in his early 20s. He's published over 25 books in English and Arabic in Islamic studies and published over 20 research papers in cosmology and applied historical astronomy and on the Islamic calendar. Today, however, he, he has kindly agreed uh, to discuss uh, the story of Joseph, the best of stories, as the Quran calls it, in the Bible and the Quran, especially the differences and their significance. So I hand over to you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Paul. Um, the, the subject, obviously, this subject is quite uh, broad, detailed. So I had to be um, selective in what to cover and not basically uh, make this interview just too long for viewers. Mm. So um, what I'm going to do, first of all, this is not an, a, a kind of interpretation, um, analysis of the surah or chapter of Joseph in full. That's not what we're doing. I'm only focusing on comparing uh, episodes right. in, of the story in both scriptures, in the Quran and the Old Testament. And even in doing that, I had to be selective. Uh, so I chose some episodes, some events to focus on, which um, have particular significance. Each one of them hmm. kind of tells us something uh, about how the story is told in both books, where the focus is, and what really the accuracy, inaccuracy, consistency, inconsistency issues there. Right. Some of these differences are quite clear, visible will be clear. Um, as soon as you put them next to each other on the screen, people will look at them and say, well, yep, clear. Uh, others are subtle. And mm. I'll obviously uh, highlight those. The, the, the discussion today uh, isn't going to be similar to what we did uh, when we discussed the story of Musa, salam, Moses. Because in that instance, the focus was on comparing the scripture with history and saying, well, which one is it closer to history as we know it? Mm -hmm. This is different. This is this does not make any external references outside the scriptures. This is looking at, at each of these scriptures within its own uh, kind of contained uh, content, and then trying to see which one looks more realistic, accurate, consistent. So it from this point of view, it's different. So th there's no... Um, attempt here to say, oh, this is miraculous because it said so-and-so. This right. is a comparative study. I see. It is not going to lead us at any point to say, well, this point in particular means this is definitely of divine source. That's not what we're talking about. Um, I have to say as well that even though the story that we have uh, in the Quran uh, has similarities and differences, significant differences with the story in the Bible. 
the uh, Muslim exegetes were quite influenced by the story in the Bible, uh, mm. the story of Joseph, as they were actually with other kind of accounts in the Bible. Mm. And you, you find a lot of details that have kind of crept into uh, Muslim exegesis that has nothing to do with the Quran. Some of some of it might be reconcilable. Uh, some of them look um, really not so. The obviously there are a lot, as I mentioned, a lot of differences and similarities. Now, similar similarities are expected because these are at, at the end of the day is the same story. Mm-hmm. So the focus on trying to say, oh, look, this is different, which is, by the way, what often missionary work is about, because the underlying assumption, the Quran came later, so the Quran must have copied, similarities mean copying, not dissimilarity, any dissimilarity means uh, Muhammad got it wrong, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. went wrong. So yeah. it's kind of a quite uh, cozy uh, approach. Um now, uh, to give some overview of the uh, the text we have, in the Qur'an, uh, the surah of Joseph, the story of Joseph is contained in this one surah and this one surah alone. And and it's, it's, just, just to clarify, this is the 12th, uh, the 12th surah, the 12th right. chapter, if you like, of the Qur'an. And the, the story in the Bible is towards the end of the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible in the Torah. Yes, in, in Genesis, it covers um, chapter 37 to 50. So that's the last section uh, of uh, Genesis. And then we start with the Exodus. That's when we pick up with the story of Moses. And we have this gap of whatever the Bible at times calls 40 years, for 400, uh, for 400 years or 430 years. Mm-hmm. In the Quran, it's yes, it's chapter number 12. Uh, it consists of 111 verses. Mm-hmm. The first three verses at the beginning uh, are generic, general. They don't belong specifically to the story of Joseph. The last 10 verses are exactly the same. Yes. They are generic. Mm. What you have in between is 98 verses that all cover the story of Joseph. So given the structure, this is unique in the Quran. Exactly. Um, if you compare it with the story of uh, Sayyidina Isa, uh, Jesus, Moses, uh, other stories actually of other uh, prophets um, from Arabia elsewhere, they're different. They're kind of, you find them everywhere. Mm. Uh, an example, the name Yusuf or Joseph is mentioned actually only, only twice outside this story. And only in the context of mentioning, uh, one time uh, in the context of mentioning other prophets and another uh, he was cited by somebody in the uh, court of Pharaoh in the story of Moses. Uh, again, uh, not unexpectedly, the story of Joseph in the Bible is far more detailed yes. than we have in the Quran. In fact, it's about seven times mm. uh, as, as large, roughly. Yeah, maybe we're just stressing that, as you say, the story of Yusuf in the 12th chapter of the Quran is by far the longest continuous narrative um, that we see in the Quran. And in that sense, it's like the, the narratives read in the Bible, where you have a sequential, chronologically, um, you know, sequential story. But often 
um, in the Quran elsewhere, the the story you get you get bits and pieces of the story in different places. But here it's like the Bible; the whole chapter is just devoted just to the story of uh, Joseph from beginning to end. Yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely right. Now uh, I am going to presume that uh, viewers are familiar with the story, and mm. because otherwise uh, it will take time just to frankly give a if summary of it. No. But yeah. in the course of talking about it, we will be kind of revisiting or visiting most of the episodes in this story anyway. So it isn't going to be uh, difficult to understand where we are and um, how far we've gone into the story. Yeah. Uh, the story contains two major characters, Yusuf, um, Joseph, and his father, Yaqub, Jacob. And also there are other mainly in the background, if you like, uh, which is, these are his brothers. His mm. 11 uh, brothers. Um, I'm going to start, even though our focus is actually on the story of uh, Joseph, I will start with an earlier episode, and I'm going to start with Isaac on his deathbed. Oh, yes. And I'm going to pick it from there because it's relevant, and we will see how. I'm going to share my screen because I've got slides here. So I think oh, this is what I need to share. Oh, yes. Okay, clear then? Very clear, yeah. Okay, good. So, Isaac on his deathbed. Now, uh, I'm going to give just a very uh, quick summary of what we're talking about here. This story does not exist in the Quran. This is only in Genesis. Yeah. Uh, Isaac is uh, Jacob's father. On his deathbed, uh, we're told that Isaac wanted, he called on his um, eldest son, um, Esau, and he wanted to bless him. So he asked him to bring him some food uh, and then to come to bless him before he dies. Rebecca, Isaac, Isaac's wife, and actually the mother of the twins, Esau and Joseph, hears that, but she doesn't want that to happen. She wanted the blessing to go to her other son, yes. uh, to, um, um, to Jacob. So she called them, she told them, uh, basically, to go and pretend that he was Esau and to take the blessing from his father. Uh, What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Instead and before Esau. And that's what happened. I'm going to just make some comments about this story before we move on and see where it fits actually why I am uh, quoting it here. This story has a number of problems, uh, not only from a Muslim perspective, but really in general, even as, as a plot. First of all, the narrative is very weak. I'll give you an example. We're told that uh, Esau was a hairy man. Mm. Now, if he went to take the blessing um, of his father, Isaac, who was kind of blind, so he couldn't see him, but surely he would have touched him and he would have realized that, well, this is not uh, Esau, this is someone else. So what his mother did, he ad- she advised him, uh, well, uh, where she gave him garment uh, that belongs to Esau, so he put it on, so that had the smell of Esau, and she put um, some goat skin on his uh, uh, hands and his skin, yeah. um, and his, sorry, neck. Uh, and that, believe it or not, worked. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so, so I'm not going to get uh, too much involved, but just to give it, uh, as you look here, there we have real examples of pretty poor parenting here. The mo- mother is discriminating between her two sons. Uh, uh, apologists, uh, uh, apologists usually say, uh, try to explain that by saying, uh, because at some point Esau sold his birthright uh, to his brother. He, one day he was hungry, his brother was cooking. He told him, I want food. Well, mm. I'll give you my um, birthright, which is kind of right for um, her- hereditary rights uh, that usually uh, belong uh, to the eldest son. Mm. So that's the justification. And obviously the mothers commanded uh, her son, uh, Jacob, to go deceive and steal from his father. Yeah. Now, if that's not bad enough, we have very distorted role models here, and these are patriarchs, no less. So we've got um, one of them, at least, uh, being deceptive and stealing from his, his father. And both of them look really, really naive. Isaac, I gave an example how he was tricked into um, giving the blessing uh, to Jacob. Uh, he believed, he convinced him that he was actually Esau. Mm. Uh, but, but that's not only him. Uh, here we see... Um, Jacob himself, a very nice person. He was uh, over 40 years old, by the way, when this happened. Yet his position in the story is kind of character is very weak. Uh, he couldn't say no to his mother, etc. And uh, what happened? In fact, he was uh, tricked even earlier in his life. So uh, his father-in-law, uh, uh, when he wanted to leave him with his wife, Rachel, that is um, um, Isaac, uh, sorry, we're talking um, about Jacob here. So with, uh, when he was married to Rachel, uh, that is uh, what was going to become Joseph's and Benjamin's mother. Mm. When he tried to leave, he was tricked by his father-in-law into sleeping with his other daughter. So mm. that's mm. Uh, his, effectively his, the sister of his um, uh, wife, of Rachel, Leah. He, they got married, etc. So Again, the example, the reason I only cite this, um, just to show the weakness and the kind of naivety in the structure of the plot itself, Mm. even though, and that's very important, the Old Testament is a book of history. 
doesn't matter what some try to kind of find a way of pushing away this description and say, well, it used history, but it wasn't meant to be. Well, uh, it gives you all the details you expect uh, from yep. a book that is intended that's right. to be I think that's right. yeah. as history. And then uh, we have another issue here with this, the worldly concept of blessing. So the blessing that is a spiritual gift was actually stolen here effectively uh, from Isaac by Jacob, um, urged to do so by his uh, mother. Mm -hmm. Now, the concept of blessing here that we talked about, which was stolen, is effectively the equivalent of prophethood in, in the Quran. Mm. That's what we call prophethood. Now, prophethood in the Quran is, um, is very different in that um, it, it's, it's given only by Allah. This is a selection, an election. Uh, somebody gets chosen. And this is one ayah. Indeed, we have revealed to you as we revealed to Noah and the prophets after him. And we've revealed to Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, and the descendants. This descendants being the 12 um, sons of Jacob. G Jesus, Job, um, Jonah, Aaron and Solomon, and to David we gave the book. The point is that this theme recurs in the Quran. Mm. Muhammad could not have stolen his blessing. Uh, we have evidence in the Bible that one of the patriarch at least stole it from his father. Mm -hmm. uh, Muhammad didn't do so, and the Quran that was revealed to Muhammad refutes the claim that anybody could have stolen from God because that's what it is. Stealing a blessing is to steal from God. Well, good luck with that. Mm. doesn't <laughs> work. Um, and then uh, to just show another uh, ayah, which is, this is when uh, some people at the time of the Prophet argued. They looked at Muhammad وسلم, and they thought he wasn't worthy mm. of the message. So they argued. And when a sign comes to them, they say, that's the polytheist, we will never believe until we're given like that which was given to the messenger of Allah. Then Allah comments on that. Allah knows best where to place his message. Mm. In other words, it cannot be stolen. It cannot only be granted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. This story, Paul, actually sets the tone for what we learn about Jacob in the story and how he's presented his image is far, far from the image you find in the Quran. If this is not a significant and substantial and fundamental difference, then I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. Because that's about the main character and indeed major characters in both scriptures. Can, can, I, can I just ask, I mean, maybe we can address this later. I don't want to derail your presentation, but at the end of the... Um the surah on Joseph, uh, the last verse, actually, it says in their stories, um, there is truly a lesson for people of reason. This message cannot be a fabrication. Rather, it is a confirmation of previous revelation, a detailed explanation of all things, a guide and a mercy for people of faith. I was struck when it says rather it is a confirmation of previous revelation. Well, it's clearly not simply endorsing or reproducing in a condensed form or fully 
this the the biblical story in Genesis because you're highlighting some uh, and will continue to highlight I'm sure some significant differences. So how are we to under, understand that it is confirming confirmation of previous revelation? Is, is it kind of looking perhaps beyond the Bible to an, an original Torah which was didn't have these uh, mistakes, shall we say, according to the Quran anyway? So so the Quran actually uh, takes in more than one place. Uh, about people at times who try to um, look at the Quran in parts. They look at one part, but they look at, they don't look at the other. Whereas in Islamic scholarship, there's a concept in exegesis. They call it Al-Quran Yufassiru Ba'dahu Ba'da. The Quran interprets itself. Right. In other words, uh, if we want to understand it, we have to look at, at it as a whole. If we were looking for a particular term, we have to go and look for where it occurs. Mm. And then obviously, that doesn't mean we don't need and use other information. But that's our main and um, main and, and kind of essential critical source of information. Mm. So to go back to what you said, the relevance of what I've just mentioned, Paul, is that, yes, there is this uh, repeated statements about confirmation, mm. but there are other statements to go with with those statements. So to develop a, a, a wholesome, a full, a complete understanding of what the Quran says, we need then to bring together all these. So there are places where it talks about tampering with the message, mm. changing the message, mm. hiding the book, yeah. etc. So you bring all these together and then suddenly we, we understand that the confirmation is about what the source the right. origin, the source document called it, the source revelation, whereas obviously any objections are to what happened to that source after it was revealed and changed one way or another. But you're you're absolutely right, Paul. Thank you. I mean, later, I'm, well, I promise I won't do this now. But I, I might just briefly mention the uh, the biblical scholars' idea, the documentary hypothesis, uh, which explains the composition of the Torah, because scholars today don't believe the Torah we have is the same Torah that was given to Moses. It is a composite work, and we can see different strands in it by different authors. Um, and and jo uh, the story of Joseph demonstrates this point, amongst many other books in the Bible, very clearly. And I, 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 much later, when you, I don't want to interrupt you now, but uh, much later, I'll, I'll mention some, a particular passage which demonstrates to scholars that we have multiple sources being used by whoever the author was um, who compiled the, the Torah we have today. Yeah. Well, Paul, I'm going to repeat something I asked you before we started. Please do interject and do interrupt me because I value your contribution and you come to things from also different perspective and you add a lot of value, clarification, kind of addition to what I say. So please do that. Thank and you. frankly, I also um, use that to rest a little as well, by the way, Paul, okay. to be completely... I'll, I'll shut up now. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, so moving on. I want just to add one one last point here. Mm -hmm. So uh, at times uh, the apologetic argument is that, well, the Bible shows the prophets as they are, human beings, and human mm -hmm. beings yeah. make mistakes. Well, there's no problem with that. Nobody is saying that Muhammad وسلم, was not portrayed as a human being. He was, and we know that he was a human being. All the prophets in the Quran are also portrayed as human beings. However, we're talking about something fundamental here. If the concept of prophethood slash blessing can be stolen, we actually undermine the foundations of the concept of divine revelation and divine election. 
that goes away. This isn't a, any error. This is not any mistake. Mm. Um, the Quran does, uh, you know, um, portray uh, prophets as human beings. However, the emphasis, the difference between us and them, which is an argument used in the Quran as well, because uh, uh, every prophet in his time, he was challenged. Well, you're a human being like us. Why not? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala interjects, replies, and he says to the effect that, but you were given revelation. Mm -hmm. Revelation isn't, of course, just uh, an addition that's given to the person regardless who they are. Yeah. No, they develop to get to that point. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala develops them, which is why he says, for instance, in one instance about Moses, so that you are you develop under our eyes. And I have made you for my own, or I developed you for my own purpose. Mm. So the prophets in the Quran are human beings, but they they have this distinction, which is the spiritual side of them that mm. other people don't have. Right. Okay. Right. Now What's interesting is that in the Quran, we have one uh, deathbed scene, and that happened to me to be the one that belongs to Jacob, um, Isaac's son. Yeah. In the Bible, we also have a similar scene. In the Bible, what we're told, Jacob, he called his um, uh, sons, and he did three things. He said three things. First of all, he blessed Joseph and his two sons. The second is that he asked to be buried in Canaan, yeah. where his um, ancestors uh, were, were buried. And the third, he spoke to every one of his sons and told them what was going to happen to them in the future. So mm -hmm. predictions about them. These are the three things that Jacob did uh, on his uh, deathbed. Mm. Now, obviously, he might have said other things, but that's what was highlighted by the writers, authors, editors of the Old Testament, of that text. Now, this is the scene in the Quran. Or were you witnesses when death approached Jacob, Yaqub, when he said to his sons, what will you worship after me? They said, we will worship your God and the God of your fathers, Abraham. Ishmael and Isaac, one God, and we are Muslims, or we submit to him. This is the one well advice that is highlighted by the Quran. And you can see even in this kind of comparison, the difference and the emphasis of both scriptures. The ethnocentric nature of the Bible cannot be missed and uh, appears and manifests itself on every page, indeed yeah. at times in every paragraph of a page. The exact opposite is the nature of the Quran. Mm. The Quran is Allah-centric. Yes. The Quran is God-centric. Mm -hmm. The Bible is people-centric and it's ethnocentric as in it belongs to one particular ethnicity. Mm. This is a huge difference between the two. This is an example, just wanted to cite. But then you can see the consistency, and we'll see it further about how Jacob is portrayed 
in the in the Quran. <clears throat> we're gonna start with the story proper now. So um, this story we're gonna start with Joseph's dream. So Joseph um, had a dream uh, in the Bible. Um, and then had a second dream. The first dream, he saw himself and his brothers binding uh, sheaths, um, and then his sheath uh, stood upright, and the sheaths of his brothers surrounded it and bowed to that sheath. He told his brothers, the brothers, they were really angry, didn't like it. Hmm. So what, what did he do next? Well, he sees another dream, and he goes and tells them about what he saw. Just in case they, you know, didn't um, hate him enough, so that's that's basically uh, increased how much they disliked him, and that is, if I just move this box here, okay. I've had another dream. The sun, the moon, and the eleven eleven stars were bowing uh, down to me. Mm. That's the dream. That's the only dream that's mentioned in the Quran. The first dream is not, so this is the only one, and this is. Uh, what the Quran says. I have seen, but this is the difference here is that he's talking only to his father. He didn't say this to his brothers. And the moon, and I saw the sun, uh, 11 stars, the sun and the moon. I saw them prostrating to me. Now, when you look at these two next to each other, they look very similar, but there's actually a very subtle difference here. The order is different. The 11 stars occur before the sun and the moon. Well, somebody might say, it's a bit of subtle difference. Then I say, well, that's kind of, you know, there's no significance to it. Well, we have three places in the Quran where the stars, the sun, and the moon are mentioned. And every time when they are mentioned, uh, three times other than this verse, when they are mentioned, always they are mentioned in this order, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And that's what you really would expect anybody to say, because that's, you know, the main luminaries, then followed by the stars. Yeah. The, um, you know, the sun, the moon that we're more familiar with, etc. Um, this is um, one example. Do you not see that to Allah prostrates, whoever is in the heavens and whoever is on the earth, and the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the trees, the moving creatures, and many of the people. And you can see that the order here is along the lines we would expect, the sun, the moon, the stars. So why this particular dream breaks this order? Well, the reason is, as the story tells us, the bowing, the prostration of the brothers will happen before the prostration of the sun and the moon the sun and the moon stand for jacob and joseph's mother so the order of the story it's 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 really strange and bizarre i haven't seen anybody by the way orientalist or i don't know where they come from or they call themselves uh, pick on this particular point uh, and comment on it and why the quran Muhammad وسلم, from their point of view would go out of his way mm -hmm. to change it here but not in the other places mm -hmm. where it just occurs in the expected if you like order so that is the reason 
that this particular uh, order is changed because later, as we will see, they go and visit um, Joseph in Egypt. He's already become a VIP. Uh, so they bow themselves to him. And later, later, Jacob and his wife follow suit and they also bow to him there. And what's interesting as well um, in that uh, in, when, when this happens at the end, when um, um, Jacob and his mother um, go to Egypt and the, they prostrate, they bow down to Joseph. After that, Joseph makes uh, comments on that. He tells his father, this is the interpretation of my dream. My Lord ha have, has made it come true. And you can see the link here. So that is not a passing event. It's an important event, and it's part of the prophecy that uh, is presented in, the, in, the, in this way uh, in the dream. So now Joseph told uh, the story to his father. So what does Jacob do? Well, in line with what we saw earlier about his portrayal in the Bible, this is what happened. His father rebuked him and said to him, what kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother, and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? Jacob is angry, is unhappy about, um, about the dream. He's unaware of the significance of dreams, completely unaware. And he doesn't seem to be even aware that Joseph is not responsible for the dream. He's blaming him for the dream. Now, if this is something that, you know, an old, an adult said to someone, any adult, to a child, you would look at the adult and say, what are you talking about? I mean, this is a dream the child saw, and you're telling the child why you saw the dream. This is not any adult, and this is not any child. This is Jacob, the prophet, arguing that somehow Joseph was to blame for seeing um, the, the vision that he saw. The other issue here um, is that Joseph is talking about your mother. So mentioning your mother. Now, Rachel, Joseph's mother, actually died many years ago. So at the time uh, of this incident, Rachel was no more. Uh, Leah died when Joseph went to Egypt. So she was still there. Uh, but then she's not his mother, of course. Um, uh, then there is a maid of Rachel that Jacob was married to. So, so apologists usually say, well, maybe that's what it's what it meant that it was the mother that who would go there um, and bow. Or, or that's the understanding of Jacob. Well, the problem here is that first of all, these are assumptions. There's no indication. But what we know is that when the Bible 
uh, tells us who went to Egypt, there is absolutely no mention of uh, any of Jacob's wives. Mm. Um, I've got his, here a quote, Jacob and all uh, his offspring with him, they're talking about who went to Egypt, uh, his sons and his son's sons with him, his daughters and his son's daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. So they're listing everybody, but there's no mention of a mother. Mm. So again, it is significant because here he's talking about, or he thought that's going to happen. So what's happened here? Um, Jacob um, understood the dream, but the dream from his, in his own kind of, in the, given the information that the Bible gives us, cannot be fulfilled because by the time they go to Egypt, there is no mother. But then the problem is even bigger because the dream was not fulfilled at all. What, what does that mean? When they went to Egypt, there is no information, there's no mention that Jacob alone bowed to, um, prostrated to, to Joseph. It, it's not mentioned anywhere. And even when Joseph asked his brothers to bring his father uh, to Egypt, he was always talking about his father, his father. He never mentioned my mother. You think he would mention it if it had any presence in the story. It's not, it's not mentioned. Um, in the Quran, this is what it says. This is what Jacob told Joseph. Oh, my son, do not relate your vision to your brothers or they will scheme a plan against you. Indeed, Satan is a manifest enemy, enemy of man. And this will your Lord choose you, teach you the interpretation of speeches and complete his favor on you and on the family of Jacob as he completed it on your fathers before Ab Abraham and Isaac. Indeed, your Lord is knowing wise. Look at the reaction of Jacob in the Quran and compare it with its equivalent in the Bible. He's completely understanding this is a vision. This is not of Joseph's making. He understood right away its significance, and he understood that this is something that's going to happen. And he warned him against saying, um, relating, recounting that to his brothers. And what's so interesting, uh, he also understood what it means. Your Lord choose will choose you, teach you the interpretation of speeches or dreams. Um, you know, it's a general term. I don't want to get into it. It's a bit too technical. And complete his favor on you and on the family of Jacob. Look at the interpretation, Jacob's fantastic interpretation, because that's indeed what happened in the future. Mm. In the future, all of them prospered in this world, so they had better living. And all of his sons, uh, the 10 sons who had problems with uh, Jacob, uh, with Joseph and Benjamin, were all reformed all of them. So even that he's reading into, uh, you know, about the future from the vision that he was told. Clearly, he could uh, kind of, he has the same gift, if you like, that we will see Joseph had um, in interpreting dreams. Obviously, his brothers, Joseph's brothers didn't like him. So they wanted um, to, um, they conspired basically, they wanted to get rid of him. Mm. Um, and according to the Bible, he was over 17. So we're told he's 17 when the story then picks up. 
um, and they decided to do something about him. Um, and then, but um, one day he was at home. They were uh, pasturing the flock, uh, but he wasn't with them for unknown reasons. Even though he's an old man, or not, you know, an adult, uh, seventeen and over, um, means an adult. Obviously, he wasn't working. So Jacob asked him to go and work with his brothers. Uh, so he went. When he went, they saw him at a distance as he was approaching. When he was approaching, they worked out a conspiracy there and then. So rather than, now this hatred or you know bad feelings, ill feelings toward Joseph have been going on for ages, but actually the plan, the conspiracy happened there and then. They saw him coming, they started talking, and they first decided to kill him. Then Reuben, the elder, said, no, let's put him actually in the bottom of a dry pit. And then ultimately they sold him to a caravan. Reuben was away. Reuben wanted actually to take him back to his father. Mm. Uh, but then he went away. In the meantime, a caravan came. They sold him uh, to the caravan. And the reason we're told they didn't like him um, didn't like Joseph because uh, uh, Jacob loved him. Why did he love him? Because he was the son of his old age. Now, obviously, what the what we know is that Benjamin was actually younger than Joseph. So, if he was of his old age, then obviously Benjamin would, was even younger. Mm. In the Quran, there is no explanation as to why. Uh, Jacob loved Joseph. It doesn't say that. It shows you why. There is no one statement. The story, when you read it, you know what he knew. He is a prophet. He knew. He was told a dream and he concluded and, and inferred from that dream all kinds of things. So he was aware what, what Joseph was, what kind of person he was. That's why he loved him. Nothing to do with age. Uh, being young or not. So, in the Quran, we're told that um, they conspired against Joseph at home, not in the prompt you, you know, conspiracy theory, a conspiracy happening while he's coming towards them, and, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Mm. No, uh, they actually spoke about it at home. Uh, and then one of them, first they wanted to kill him, then one of them um, do not kill Joseph, but throw him into the bottom of the well that some travelers may pick him up. Yeah. Now, as you can see here, is that there are a lot of similarities, but the differences are also significant. And this is a theme you'll see throughout, similarities and significance. And the other kind of significant difference is that they came to their father and they wanted to convince him to allow um, to allow them to take Joseph with them. So what do they say? Oh, our father, why do you not entrust us with Joseph while we are well wishes to him? Send him, send him with us tomorrow that he may eat and drink and play. Indeed, we will be his guardians. The image here is of a young boy. Yeah. Not 17 years old, Young plays, needs uh, somebody to look after him, and clearly he doesn't go to work with them. So he's staying at home. That is very different. And then 
later on, we will see when the caravan uh, picks up the child from the well, he is described as Ghulam. Ghulam means young boy. So he could have been, um, you know, God knows what age, um, you know, up to maybe before puberty, but he was a young boy, small boy, uh, unlike the story in the uh, in the Bible. And um, one thing to mention as well here, uh, one aspect of the copying that uh, from the Bible you see in Muslim exegesis is the uh, is the age of seventeen. That actually appears as mentioned uh, by Tabari, Tusi, uh, Shia um, exegetes, Ibn Kathir, Qurtubi, Zamakhshari, Siyuti, Sunni. So it's not about Sunni Shia, it exists actually everywhere. Even though they kind of um, not necessarily try to integrate that piece of information, it just mentioned, again, something you find quite a lot in exegesis. Another example is that um, they, um, when they killed, when they brought his shirt, bloodied shirt, uh, they claimed that this had the blood of a goat. Now that's taken from the Bible, uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, the Quran doesn't say what kind of of a blood man. So now we get to. They took Joseph, threw him in the well, and went back to their father. They told him what happened. And this is what, J what Jacob told them. He recognized it. That's the rope, the rope that they brought. It was a bloodied. And said, it is my son's rope. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth, sackcloth on his loins and, and mourned for his son many days. Again, the problem is that Jacob really is doing um, kind of his, his son's job for them. Rather than wait for them to make all these massive claims, he's always picked up the thread and he told them what might have, you know, what happened and basically confirmed their story for them. He had, again, in line with what we saw earlier, he had no uh, foresight. He wasn't insightful. He couldn't have guessed what might have happened. None of this. And also he was completely overwhelmed by sadness. Uh, tear, you know, um, tearing one's uh, garments here is kind of reference to how sad they are because garments are very valuable, obviously. Um, and that means he was really, really upset there. That's what the Quran says. Rather, as in, no, it's not what you said, but your souls have enticed you to something so good, patient, I shall have. Allah is the one whose help is sought against that which you describe or what you say. In other words, he did not believe them. He knew they had um, done something to Joseph, but he knew that the story they told him uh, was was not true. That's not what happened. And what instead of being overwhelmed by sadness, as in the Bible, Jacob here is overwhelmed by patience. Mm -hmm. That's another kind of um, character, another characteristic attribute of, of Jacob and Joseph that we see throughout the story. Because what happened to Joseph was effectively happening to Jacob. 
every uh, problem, every uh, kind of issue that uh, Yusuf Joseph faced was reflected and experienced in some way, remotely, obviously, by his father. When he lost him, he lived only on that patience. And he always believed that he will have him back uh, at some at some point. Yeah. Can I just um, just look at the, another translation, which is quite popular, uh, by Dr. Mustafa Kitab, um, which I'm just looking at, of that particular verse, 1218, which um, perhaps adds uh, a further dimension. And they brought his shirt stained with false blood. He responded, no, your souls must have tempted you to do something evil. So I can only endure with beautiful patience. I patience without complaining. So this translate he's translated uh, as what I'm referring to really. I can only endure with beautiful patience. It's a a lovely uh, um, additional way of looking at it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, obviously, in the Bible, by the way, we have references to Jacob's uh, belief that Joseph died several times throughout the story. Uh, on the other hand, we have confirmation of Jacob's belief, certainty, that Joseph was still alive more than once in the Quran, in the story. Mm -hmm. So that theme continues. Okay. The, the other little difference I might mention here, I've actually put it in my note, which is worth highlighting. The Quran contains one word that does not exist in the story of the Bible, but it is significant. They came at night. The mm. Quran says, Aisha'an, at night. Mm. And that's significant because they wanted, no, they wanted, they're going to pretend they were crying because they, they came and they cried. And they pretended they were sad, they've lost Joseph, etc., all of that. And they wanted it to be dark so they can, darkness can help them basically as they pretend and rather than their father see them in the kind of light of the day and you look at their face and say well you're putting on a show here yeah. so that one word again is missing doesn't exist in the bible Aisha'an. Um, again every time you see something like that you ask yourself well how did this occur to muhammad anyway i mean what how it's one single word actually and it just makes sense in the story and if, it, if you don't put it in, it doesn't break the story. Mm -hmm. It adds more information. It enriches the story. But without it, the story isn't broken. It's still complete. Moving on. Now, uh, Joseph was taken to Egypt. He lived in the house of um, some VIP in the Egyptian state. Um, the Quran calls Al-Aziz. Uh, he grew, uh, grew up there, and then at some point, Al-Aziz's wife, uh, the wife of this VIP, um, tried to seduce Joseph. So she tried to seduce him. She locked up the doors, and when he realized what she wanted, he ran. She ran after him. They both raced to the door. She tore his shirt from the back and they found her husband at the door. She said, what is the recompense 
the punishment of one who intended evil for your wife, but that but that he may he be in prison or a painful punishment. So they ran together and she tried to stop him leaving. In the course of doing that, she tore his shirt. They find themselves in the front of her husband. Mm. The reason why she made the accusation is completely clear. At the door, the position they were in, she had to explain what happened, what was happening. So she accused him of trying to assault her. So we understand fully why that um, uh, accusation made. And we can see a clear role for the garment here, or for, for his shirt. This is the equivalent in the Old Testament. While no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Then um, she called out to the members of her household, and she told them that he tried to assault her. Then he, she kept his garment uh, by her until her master came home, and she told him the same story. There was nobody in the house. He left. And we know from the Old Testament that she's been trying to seduce him over a long period of time. There is no reason for her to stop at that point and to uh, accuse him, definitely not in front of her husband, that he was trying to assault her. No reason whatsoever. So the reason, what I'm trying to say here is that the writer of this piece of text is aware of a, a role for that garment, is aware that there was an accusation that was made, but given the other details in the story they put, the accusation itself becomes without explanation. Mm. She did not need to do that. She had no idea. By the time her husband was back, Joseph was already at home. Joseph was at home. So nothing happened given the details we have, that would force would have forced her to complain to her husband. But look at the story in the Quran. The story in the Quran, she had to, she had to complain and she had to accuse him because she, she had no option. Her husband was already there. Is that, does this make sense to you, Paul? It does. Yeah, it's good. I like your fine observational skills here. You, you, you're looking at the, the subtleties and the nuances in the story and bringing out the uh, the contrasts and the differences and their significance. So, yeah, it, it's uh, absolutely. Okay. So, um, obviously, over time, at some point in time, he was still put in jail. He was put in jail. Joseph was put in jail um, in the Bible after... Um, the woman told his, her husband, he put him in jail. Then mm. the story in the Quran is longer, but ultimately she still decided to put him in jail because he wouldn't accept yep. her advances. So let's go to the... Now, in, while he's in, the, in jail, he was joined by two uh, uh, servants of the king, we're told. Mm. And these are uh, his cupbearer and his baker. Uh, the information is given in the Old Testament. And they wanted somebody 
they saw dreams, each one of them, and they wanted an explanation, somebody to interpret the dream for them. They said to him, to Joseph, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell me, tell them to me. So why did they ask Joseph for an, in, to, to explain those dreams, to interpret those dreams to them? Because there was no one else in jail. I mean, that doesn't seem, sound very convincing, does it? I mean, um, what, so the fact that he happened to be around means they they can just ask him for the interpretation. Yeah. So again, what you see here, and I keep on kind of repeating this thread, is the impression I get, it's not only this story, but often when you read these stories in the um, Bible and compare them with their uh, equivalent stories in the, in the Quran, as if the, the author, had, the, the seed of information is there, but so much was added, changed, that we ended up with some information that's correct, but try to situate it just doesn't work. Trying the, the way they situated and the other details are provided, it just doesn't work. So what we know here is that he could interpret dreams, but when we they try to explain why in the Bible, they say, well, because he happened to be around. There was no one else in jail. So if there was someone else in jail, they would have gone to that person, not mm. necessarily Joseph. Mm. This is what the Quran says. After they tell him about the dreams, they say, inform us of its interpretation. Indeed, we see you to be of the good doers. Yeah. So they looked at him and he was different to them. He, he looked somebody, the word is muhsin in Arabic. Muhsin is a more of a general term, not only good doer, but somebody of virtue, somebody who likely to have been uh, behaving very well with them, very well-mannered who he was anyway, yeah. everywhere. And he must have helped them, served them, whatever, but that wasn't enough. And would it have been enough for them to say, well, why don't you interpret our dreams for us because that that still wouldn't have made him the necessarily the right person so the now he replies to their call no food shall come to you for your sustenance but before it comes to you i shall tell you its interpretation that's from what my lord has taught me now we know what was going on they had seen from Joseph things that made them believe he can interpret the dreams for them. He's already mentioned one of his capabilities. He could tell them what food would be brought to them before it comes to them. That tells us the reason why they asked him, not because he happened to be there and there was no one else. There's a reason for that. And the reason comes in the confirmation that he they had already seen evidence that he was capable, capable of some super, supernatural things. And that made them ask him to interpret the dreams uh, for them. So. Oops. Now, preaching to the prison companions. Mm. 
they asked him to interpret the dreams for them. In the Bible, he goes on and explains what these dreams meant. In the Quran, he does something very, very different. Uh, I quoted the uh, passage uh, in full because it's it's very important and relevant here. Um, I have left the religion of a people who do not believe in Allah. So he started preaching. He doesn't talk about the dreams. And they, in the hereafter, disbelieve. I have followed the religion of my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was not for us to associate anything with Allah. This is from the favor of Allah on us and on people. But most people are not grateful. All my two prison companions are separate. All my two prison companions are separate lords, better or Allah, the one that prevailing. You do not worship beside him other than names that you and your fathers have coined for which Allah has sent down no authority. The judgment is not for, but for, for Allah. He has commanded that you do not worship other than him. That is the true religion, but most people do not know. Now, look at the details of this kind of uh, sermon. It is a sermon, really. Mm. Uh, and why would he say this now, not later? Because he wanted them to listen to all of them. He could have told them what their dreams meant. But what he did, he spoke about all of that before he gave them the what they wanted within the interpretation uh, of their dreams. So he started by saying how he uh, ended up in prison because he would not uh, accept um, the religion practices of where he was living. And then he says that he followed the religion of his fathers. And it's uh, it's interesting when he says this is from the favor of Allah on us and on people. Because whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to one of these teachers, prophets, he would have given to a lot of people who benefited from them. So it's, it's not only to them, it's actually to people in general. And then he goes on, obviously, talking about the uh, kind of what the, the message of Tawheed. Islam's starting point, Islam's ultimate reality, Tawheed, the oneness of Allah. That's the cornerstone of the Quran and what Islam is all about. We saw it when we looked at Jacob on his deathbed. He talked about that, Tawheed. And look at what his son is doing here before he moves on to interpret the dreams for his uh, inmates. He's talking about Tawheed again. Mm -hmm. To give you an example, I mean, this is a, so just to stress the obvious. I mean, yes. this is one of the very distinctive features of the Quran's telling of this uh, story compared to the Bible. Um, There's great emphasis on monotheism is is a striking feature of the Quran. I mean, it's not it's it's far less um, explicit or evident in the the Joseph narrative in the Bible. I think. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So this is a little summary. Uh, I wanted to create a kind of a graphical representation of what we've just seen. Oh. So this is the Old Testament. The number of verses in which the cupbearer's dream is uh, detailed are four. Then an explanation is given in two verses by Joseph. The baker's dream occupies two verses, another two verses interpret um, the the dream. This is the Quran. One verse for both dreams. Four verses of preaching. One verse 
both interpretations. 65% of the episode is a preaching, mm. 0% in the Bible. Mm -hmm. That shows a, a fundamental difference between history in the Quran and history in the Bible. Yeah. History in the Quran is used as a tool, as a means to, con to convey messages. So if any book had a claim to say it's history, wasn't the proper history, it would have been the Bible, the Quran, not the Bible, really. The Bible cannot make this claim and say, well, history in the Bible is actually symbolic. It's not exact. It's, no, that's what it's supposed to be, what it meant to be, is biographies throughout, most of it. Whereas in the Quran, it's both. It's real history, that's what the Quran says, but it's also used as, as a means, it's not um, the end itself. And what's interesting when you look at this little uh, kind of graphical um, diagram, this diagram presentation of, of the episode, is that um, the, 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 this happens in even in the kind of most history-focused, history-centric uh, chapter in the Quran. And that's, that's quite something. So now we move to a very prominent feature uh, of the story, which, which is uh, Joseph's shirts. Mm. Uh, the Old Testament acknowledges that uh, the shirts of, of Joseph played a significant role in the story. Uh, so uh, when uh, the shirt, the bloodied shirt, was brought to Jacob, he looked at it, he recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Mm. So you can see this is the first episode in which this happens. By the way, this robe, according to the Bible, was actually made for Joseph by Jacob himself. There's no equivalent for this one little detail in the, in the Quran. Um, in the Quran... We have a similar mention, a similar mention, uh, or a similar context in which the uh, uh, shirt is mentioned. They brought uh, upon his shirt false blood. We mentioned this earlier. So in this regard, both of them mentioned the shirt in the same context. Next, the Bible. When we mentioned this earlier, when uh, the uh, uh, the, uh, the his master's wife wanted to seduce him. Uh, it, it, the Bible says Joseph left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So this is the second time when the shirt is mentioned. Uh, we know it's the same context when it's mentioned in the case uh, of the Quran. They both raced to the door and uh, tore uh, his shirt from the back. However, the Quran has a mention of a third shirt that does not exist in the Bible. So what is this missing shirt? Um, so in the Bible, probably I should have mentioned this earlier, but might as well talk about it now. Uh, when, when Joseph sent his brothers to Egypt, and asked them to bring back Joseph, uh, Jacob, his father, and his family. 
He sent with them, the Bible tell, tells us, those things, some of these things. Uh, to each one of them, he gave a set of garments, but no, uh, to Benjamin, he gave us his young uh, brother. He gave 300 pieces of silver and five sets of garments. He sent a lot of stuff to, to Jacob. None of them is a garment. There was no garment there. Uh, so there's no other role for a garment in the story. Whereas in the Quran, Jacob over time, at some point, as a result of his sadness over losing Joseph, while knowing he was still there, he lost his sight, his eyesight. So Joseph told his brother, take this shirt of mine and cast it over the face of my father. He will become seeing. So uh, he will uh, um, be, start seeing uh, once again. This missing shirt obviously means there's a missing miracle in yeah. the Old Testament, the miracle of uh, basically bringing back uh, the bringing back this uh, eyesight of Jacob. Now the question is, can we detect any remnants of this story in the current text of the Bible? Oh, interesting question. Okay, let's have a look. So this is the, sorry, this is the uh, the uh, verse when in the Quran, when the bearer uh, of good uh, tidings arrived, he cast it over his face and he regained his eyesight. He said, did I not tell you that I know from Allah that which you don't know? Remember when we spoke earlier, Paul, that Jacob knew all the time that Joseph was alive. But that losing his eyesight is one aspect of human nature we spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. The sadness led to him losing his eyesight did not lead to him losing his faith, mm -hmm. did not lead to him losing his ability to understand what the dream meant. He always knew his son was still alive. These are the what I call the remnants, potential remnants of this story. So Joseph uh, sent his brothers to his father and he told them, and now you tell her your father and now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it's my own mouth that speaks to you. Then we're told that God told uh, Jacob, Joseph's own hand shall close your eyes. On his, on his deathbed, ah. now the eyes of Israel were dim with age and he couldn't see well. And finally, again on his deathbed, I did not that Jacob talking. I did not expect to see your face, and hence, and here God has let me see your children also. Wow! These are four references talking about him seeing, and there's some link there. And I all look at it. What I'm doing, I'm doing the reverse or the the exact opposite exercise of what Orientalists yeah. do. Yeah. They try to show how the Quranic text was corrupted. Mm. by taking the original uh, Jewish 
scripture and changed. I'm doing the exact opposite here. And I'm claiming, based on this analysis, that these references are remnants from the original story that actually captured this miracle and documented it. I think it's a, a very, a very brilliant uh, insight, if I, if I may say. And um, and when you finish your presentation, I, I'd like to make a few comments on what biblical scholars have called the documentary hypothesis to explain um, the composition of the Torah we have today, and that and that very nicely complements your own analysis here of of what we're saying. But it, it gives a slightly broader Western academic point of view. But um, yeah, well, well, well spotted. Okay, thank you, Paul. <clears throat> now we're, we're going to go a kind of, uh, this is uh, the last slide, um, and there are some um, kind of concluding remarks later, but this is, as far as slides are concerned, uh, this is the last slide. And what I wanted to show is two things, really. Uh, one of them, something Paul mentioned earlier. This is this the uh, verse number three. This is the verse before, just before the story starts in the chapter. We relate to you the best of stories and revealing to you of this Quran, although you were before it among the unaware, min al-ghafilin. So the description of best of stories is not meant here to apply only to the story of Joseph. As this is mentioned uh, to mean all the stories in the Quran are the best stories. Why are that? Why is that? Because they are truthful, as in historically truthful, and they are also spiritually truthful as in conveying the messages that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want to convey to people. So elsewhere, after I think story about um, Jesus, it says Ahsan al-Hadith, the best of speeches, as you can see. That doesn't mean only that particular story about Jesus was the best of Hadith. Uh, no, it means it's a general description uh, of the Quran. And it says also, before it, you were among the unaware. In other words, you didn't know any of this. Mm. This is a theme that occurs more than once, kind of you find in a, occurring in a number of verses in the Quran, reminding the Prophet, and reminding the Prophet, reminding everybody living uh, there, and would come uh, centuries afterwards to the end of time, that the, the Prophet had no knowledge of any of this. Min al He didn't know any of that. He came to know about these stories from the Qur'an, mm. not the, the, from some kind of uh, uh, monk or whatever, the, you know, the many stories um, that uh, people came up with uh, over time. Yeah. This is the... the I, I showed earlier at the top the, the verse... Just before the story starts, this is the story, the verse, just after the uh, story ends. Mm. That's from the news of the unseen, which we reveal to you. Unseen, the word is ghayb. Ghayb is everything that isn't visible. You can't see. The past is part of the ghayb. Yes. The future is ghayb. Anything we don't see is ghayb. So that's news of the NC, which we revealed to you, because it's, it's not it's not accessible. It's in the past. You were not with them when they put together their plan while they conspired. This is a reference now to G Joseph's brothers. He's telling Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you were not there 
when they did, when they put together the plan, we told you what happened. Had we not told you, you wouldn't have known because you were among the unaware. This is a reminder to Muhammad وسلم, to the people who lived at the time and to everybody who would come afterwards that this is how Muhammad learned about history. The last point I would like to make here is that the Surah of Joseph is believed, um, there's consensus that it is a Meccan. So it was revealed in Mecca. Yeah. There are only four verses that are claimed uh, by some uh, to have been revealed in Medina. That's one to three. So those that, uh, that's before the story. And number seven, number seven. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I see. There has been in Joseph and his brothers uh, signs for those who ask. That's the verse um, if you try to find it, number seven. So yeah. this is the, the reason they say uh, this may, may have been uh, in Medina is because uh, it talks about people who asked Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam but that claim really, as if the story was revealed as a result of him being asked about something he didn't know. Well, it doesn't make sense because the rest of the chapter, no one says was um, revealed in Medina. So as if we're saying, well, the the text, actually, the story was revealed in Mecca and the, the verse about the question itself was revealed uh, in, uh, in, in Medina. So... Uh, Paul, I'm going to stop, uh, finish the slides. I've got some remarks, general remarks, but if you don't mind, if you talk about the documentary theory, maybe now. That okay. I can yeah, that, that's uh, uh, excellent. Yeah, the, the documentary hypothesis is uh, the, the standard Western biblical scholarly way of understanding some remarkable features of the whole of the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible, otherwise known as the Torah. By the way, the word Torah is... A little ambiguous it can mean the first five books of the bible and that's what it usually means particularly for for devout jews but it also has a broader meaning it can mean what, what you're calling the old testament so all the prophets and the psalms and the proverbs and historical books and all those as well so it has a a, a, a narrower and a broader meaning um but when i talk about the documentary hypothesis or when biblical scholars talk about it, they mean the first five books of the bible starting obviously with genesis this is the chapter we're looking at um, and just to give you one example of why they think, why scholars think that the the Torah is not authored by Moses. No one thinks that anymore. They haven't thought that for, oh, I don't know, 150 years. That, that, that is seriously old news. <laughs> um, they've noticed many interesting features of the Pentateuch, which I'm not going to go into as a completely different subject. But there are many indications in the text that we have that it has multiple sources, multiple authors, multiple strands that have been in some way put together, mostly probably about 500 BC, thereabouts, um, by unknown editors. We don't know who they are, although we can guess at some of them, perhaps. I'm not, not going to go into that. Anyway, there's one indication, even in the book of, uh, even in the story about Joseph in the book of Genesis, that we have multiple strands. So in other words, that they originally, it wasn't um, authored by one person, that the final editor took, uh, used various different sources, different Torahs, if you want, um, to um, 
create this book of Genesis. I just want to give you one example of this. Now, I'm going to quote from this work. Um, this is such a hefty work. I mean, you really need to do some weightlifting to pick this up every day. This is uh, the Revised New Jerusalem Bible, the study edition. It's a new edition just out. It's officially endorsed and approved of by the Catholic Church itself. And indeed, he Henry Wandsborough, who's the editor, is actually a Benedictine monk, a, a Bushish guy, actually. Anyway, coming to chapter 27, uh, the story of Joseph and his brothers, um, particularly where Joseph is sold by his brothers. We've already uh, you've already covered this, uh, actually. And um, I won't repeat the story um, because we've already covered it. But I, I want to share with you the note, vote, uh, note C at the bottom. This is page 57 of the um, revised New Jerusalem. So I've just noticed it's pouring with rain outside. It's so rare to get any rain these days. Um, and it says in note C, the two versions of the story are combined. And what two versions are we talking about? Well, version one, and this is based on the biblical text. One version in chapter 37 of Genesis, Joseph sold by his brothers says the sons of jacob want to kill joseph so it's summarizing what this passage says but reuben hoping to rescue him persuades them to call persuades them to call him off in an empty well where from where he is kidnapped by the uh the the medianites the medianites that's where so that's the story uh they're kidnapped by the medianites um the sons of Jacob want to kill Joseph. Okay, so that's... And they sold them, didn't they? They sold, his brother exactly. sold them. But there's a second version, and if you read chapter 37, you'll see it. I'm not making this up. No one's making this up. It's all there. The second version, at the same time, says, the sons of Israel want to kill Joseph, but Judah suggests selling them to passing Ishmaelite merchants. Ishmaelite merchants. So we have two strands here, scholars have detected. In one version... We have a completely different bunch of people kidnapping, taking Joseph than, than another version. So the Midianites in one version and the Ishmaelites in another version. But also the way that um, the sons of uh, the, the J Joseph's brothers are described. In one version, it's the sons of Jacob. And in another version, it's the sons of Israel. Referring to the same person, the, the father, but nevertheless, he's called differently. And this is one of many, many examples in the in the in Genesis uh, and, and other chapters where you can see multiple strands where different language is used to describe God. You know, but in some places he's called Elohim, some call Yahweh, some he's called blah blah. And this documentary hypothesis, uh, the documents are called JEPD. I'm not going to go into it. It's a completely different subject, but they explain the composition of the Torah and lead scholars to believe that it wasn't authored by Moses. The text doesn't claim to be authored by Moses anyway. And, and this leads credence to the idea of the Quran, perhaps critically interacting with this and emphasizing the truth of some of the stories in the way they're expressed in the Bible, whilst implicitly rejecting other versions of that story. So I just think it's a really interesting point to make about how Western biblical scholarship um sees the, the Torah we have in a very complex composite way and that kind of fits in nicely I think with the Quran's own appreciation of, and criticism of the stories we find in the Torah as well absolutely absolutely yeah thank you very much Paul absolutely I think to be fair I mean um, if anybody would, would read the Bible with a little bit of critical eye they don't need to be a scholar 
uh, they they can themselves quickly and easily find all kinds of gaps there. I mean, you know, at the end of the Pentateuch, when they talk about Moses' death, well, how can he be the author? And he's talking, kind of documenting his, his death. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't kind of, um, but obviously scholars have done a lot of work in terms of trying to unearth as many facts as possible about how this all came about, how this huge book was put together. Yeah. Some of the kind of um, disjoined details we saw today yeah. is probably a result of that kind of... Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to go into this, but we see uh, multiple doublets, they're called. So we see the flood story happening twice. And in the details, it's different. There's two by two in one story and seven by seven in another. In the book of Genesis, the very beginning, we have two fl- uh, two creation narratives and, and so on and so on. There are lots of kind of fairly obvious uh, indications of multiple authorship and composite stitching together of these um, various texts. But so there's was one other point I want to mention before you, you continue, if I may. <clears throat> it's quite an interesting fact, I think, is um, really worth uh, sharing. Um and that is when the Prophet Muhammad, upon whom be peace, triumphed over Mecca after many years of persecution. Uh, you know, he, he and his companions were brutally persecuted um, for, for many years. What did he do? And, you know, what would you expect a man in his position? So he entered into Mecca with a vast army. His enemies were in the city. What would you expect him to do? And many, many people who know no better in the West, they oh, well, he would have slaughtered his enemies, like God allegedly commands the prophets to do in the Bible, where genocides happen quite regularly, unfortunately. you know. The, um, but actually what happened was he treated the people who abused him with grace. And was, what is fascinating to do with Joseph, he recalled, he, he, he recalled the very words of Joseph when his brothers begged him for mercy in verse 92 chapter 12 verse 92 i'm just quoted from one translation uh this is the words of joseph which prophet muhammad repeated to the meccans there is no blame on you today may god forgive you he is the most merciful of the merciful wow there is no blame on you today these are the words that joseph spoke to his um brothers who had done him such harm and Muhammad repeats these words to a group of people who had done him harm. May God forgive you, said Joseph and Muhammad. He is the most merciful of the merciful, says Joseph and Muhammad. Um, what doesn't, doesn't, well, doesn't this show that he truly uh, the ear of those who came before him? Yes. He has the manners. He has the character. He has all that kind of virtues and attributes of those who lived before him. Well, that's exactly he's, what I recognize. When I first, when I first, Joseph exactly. among his people. Is that, that's right. When I first came across the Sira or the, the life of the Prophet Muhammad, it's one thing that struck me, having been a Christian for some time, some considerable time, uh, I recognize themes, I recognize similarities, spiritual similarities. Uh, which um, then let, just forced me to ask, well, if Jesus is from God, sent by God, if Joseph was sent by God, and so on, and we have another another person who looks very much like a prophet of God, what right do I have to deny his prophethood, his authenticity, 
as someone who was sent by God. And that was the dilemma I, I, I had to deal with. Um, but you're right, the similarities are absolutely profound. And, and the Muhammad is the last in a series of very clearly delineated and defined prophets in the Bible and, and in the Quran. Um, and you can see the similarities. So there's no reason why we should deny, uh, you know, if, if it looks like a prophet, talks like a prophet, behaves like a prophet, preaches like a prophet, then the chances are it is a prophet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, absolutely right, Paul. Yeah, completely agree with you. Very, very kind of uh, spot on and uh, very insightful uh, addition, Paul. Thank you very much. It's a beautiful episode and mm. it's very relevant, obviously, to what we're talking about. And um, I, I just want to say a few things about um, the really on the methodology of what we kind of did today. So, um, Let's start. What what we what we are actually doing, or what we what did we do? Well, we took two stories about the same character, historical character, covering more or less the same episodes, and compared them. And that's what everybody um, who looks uh, kind of do comparative religion um, and compare texts would do exactly what we did here. Um, the similarities, as I said, usually as looked at. Um, from the point of view of Muslims, uh, as expected, because at the end of the day, this is history and that the same history. Any differences uh, would then mean that changes were made to the old, to the uh, older text uh, at some point. From the other perspective, it's the other way around because the Quran, uh, there, uh, the Old Testament is actually the accurate history, accurate account, and the Quran uh, is changed. But I think what what we should agree on is regardless of which position you take, similarities are inevitable. And the similarities are no kind of, it's not an indictment that there are similarities. This is only normal and expected. Where the work should focus on is actually the differences. The differences is where we can to learn more and let's let me take one step back and say well yes you're talking as a muslim but what a non-muslim would do well forget about non-muslim what an atheist would do from an athe atheistic kind of atheist point of view um, the quran can only could only have been created by a human being somewhere mm. could have only been put together and could have only used other earlier sources, whether it's the Old Testament or others. Those scholars who work with this assumption as a starting point have, will have only one trajectory of research. There is no, this is not, the Quran is not being proven to have copied from the Bible. The Quran in their works only what happens is that <clears throat> they yield or they harvest what they basically planted. Yeah. That's what you started with. There is no other conclusion. You have one trajectory. Yeah. That's your assumption. That's its inevitable conclusion. Mm. Now, if we move to a believer, and let's not define them, a believer who believes there is something called divine revelation, so there's different now starting point. Uh, a believer has must consider the possibility that the Old Testament 
is um, divine and the Quran is divine. They're looking at both of them and then they study them. They can't dismiss them out of hand because the concept uh, as a possibility exists that both books are divine. If they disagree, then that's where the believer's work should focus on and say which book makes more sense, yeah. which one sounds to be more logical, more kind of, um, you know, in line with facts we know, and which one then is more likely to be uh, the truth. Let me take this uh, one step further. Let's say there's a hypothetical believer who looked at the Quran and the Bible and said, wow, that's, that's just so many mistakes there. I can't accept that this is divine. Then they look at the Bible and the Quran and say, well, I find a lot of mistakes here as well. But there are less mistakes in the Quran. If that believer would want to be true to their approach as a believer who accommodates the concept of divine revelation in this world, then they must accept that the Quran is closer to the revelation, the original revelation, to the truth than the Bible. Even if they don't want to accept that all of it is true, it's, it's comparative. It's comparative. That's, in my view, where the biggest failure, epistemologically speaking, when it comes to looking at the two scriptures, some would say, oh, the Quran has so-and-so story, and I don't believe it, and I don't think it's true. Well, okay, well, follow through that argument, and let's apply it to the Bible. And where does that take you? Mm. And what do you conclude from that? Which one, if you don't want to accept one of them, or the Quran is completely truthful and true, then what does what, what should you then believe if you discover that the Quran is more accurate, even if not 100% uh, accurate, uh, as far as I'm concerned? Well, I mean, on, on that particular point, I, I know you might you didn't bring it up, but um, it, it is a, a, a topic that is mentioned occasionally by, by some Muslims. Uh, in verse 1243 of, of the Quran, the Quran refers uh, to the king. Uh, this is the the ruler of Egypt, um, more usually known uh, as uh, obviously the Pharaoh, and as he is indeed described in the Bible as the Pharaoh. Um, but we now know from archaeological finds that actually at the time of Joseph, at this particular time, uh, he wasn't called the Pharaoh; he was called the king. Um, so the Quran actually makes a very almost almost in passing a, a very accurate historical point. Uh, is not just copying from the Bible, obviously, whereas the Bible is uh, anachronistically or, or very imprecisely using a, a a title that wasn't used of the ruler of Egypt at, at, at that time. It was used of the ruler of Egypt at other times, but not at this time. So um, in terms of that kind of pre precise accuracy that you're referring to, there, there's one example that's often referred to. I think uh, that's, again, this is one of the things that... Um personally um, attracts me immensely to the Quran. And when I analyze the Quran and compare it with other uh, scriptures or compare it with history, is the subtleties that exist there. The Quran doesn't shout and say, oh, hold on, look at that. <laughs> you work and you find them scattered here and there, everywhere. And we will talk today about some of these subtleties. You look at them and say, wow, wow, how did this happen? 
why how would muhammad actually put this together because if that was possible to put together by a person well those who worked on the bible over centuries would have got it and would have done it other that other much more i mean don't want to derail this conversation but the other examples that impressed me more because of my own background it is the way that jesus disciples were just are described in the quran compared to how uh very accurately uh by the way historically um compared to how muhammad peace be upon him would have uh used language as everyone did at that time in the seventh century to describe them as christians for example but that's not how they were described originally in fact the quran is much more accurate in its description of who they were and this has been noticed by biblical scholars and caused some um bafflement as to how uh he, he got it so right um from the seventh century shepherd being a seventh century uh inhabitant of arabia um so that there are other examples that I, I, I find much more interesting because of my own personal background that uh, just make that very point that you're making. Absolutely, absolutely. So so that just to recap this little point is, if somebody um, is reviewing, say, this discussion we had today, the question really isn't which of the two texts um, looks divine in origin. You don't want even to ask that question to start with. Just look at them and say which one looks more accurate yes. and more uh, trustworthy than the other. Which one is more realistic? Which one is more consistent? Mm. And ask yourself, if you uh, believe that Muhammad put together this Quran, why would he leave out some details? Why do why would he would add on others? Why would he leave out details that would break the story and they that we find them in the the bible uh and they break actually the the plot there the story and why he would add others that fit completely in the story and make full sense um if he was copying um surely if he was capable to copy that much he had a lot on his hands frankly trying to occupy the whole area and you know become the warlord that he was supposed that uh, he became uh, ultimately to spend time actually working those minor details. <coughs> yes. The last uh, point I would like uh, to make is that, um, <coughs> um, well, before that, I might mention as well, some people at times attack, let's say, a discussion like this or of another subject by attacking the Quran or Islam for a different reason. And this happens quite a lot. So they would look at this and say, okay, well, the answer is that, well, the Quran made a mistake on X, Y, Z, and they took it someone else. Or I don't like how Muhammad Wasallam behaved in X, Y, Z. Well, that's a category error. That is a category error. You can't do that. You can pick up this thread and talk about it independently, separately. But when you look at this particular discussion, you have to consider it within the type. We are talking within type here. You can't just move on and talk about something completely different. So last point, uh, Paul. What about other sources? We've been talking about the Old Testament, and I can see and I can you know, imagine some people out there thinking, uh, well, um, what, what about um, um, Syriac sources? Uh, we didn't talk about them. There is actually a theory uh, that developed at some point, uh, probably uh, uh, 
early in the last century, um, where uh, some scholars um, claimed that the Quran didn't take only from stuff from the Jewish writings, but also from Syriac sources. Uh, there are specific uh, um, sources mentioned uh, at times from the 4th and 5th centuries, 6th uh, centuries as well. And uh, that's even in the very kind of specific context we're talking about, the story of Joseph. Mm. Uh, there's a scholar uh, called uh, Woodstorm, uh, who is um, Joseph Woodstorm. I think he's in the University of Jerusalem uh, right now, who wrote about this subject. But there are others who also contributed. But let me just say a couple of things here about that. So the Quran, according to Western scholarship, has uh, contains among its sources the canonical and the apocryphal Jewish and Christian writings, mm. the Talmud, Christian Syriac sources, and there are even people who quoted Aramaic poetry mm. as sources. Now, Imagine all of that, all of these sources, huge amount of sources. Now, on top of that, there's another assumption that says over time, the text of the Quran was changed. So there's another layer of complexity changing the text here over time, developed over time. So what do we have then? We have a multilingual library of, of diverse traditions <laughs> that no one no one ever is known to have had access to Muhammad had access to. That's right. Diverse, multilingual library of diverse sources, diverse traditions, oral, written, you name it. Muhammad وسلم, had access to. Now, who it's not just he had access to it, but he himself was a highly sophisticated scholar trained in all the skills and the languages and the uh, the, the exegetical um, methodologies necessary to interrogate this vast uh, these resources that you have just itemized. So it's both the the hardware and the software. He needed both, which, of course, well, yeah. And, 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 and where, where did what are the kind of the background of all of this, the context and illiterate man? in a village called Mecca in the early 7th century. Mm. That, what happened? This man, with these descriptions, managed to manage and hide this gigantic enterprise. Mm. And what happens is that, over time, when you look at and study what uh, uh, Western scholars do, Whenever a new source is discovered, that is added to the library. <laughs> so the library isn't actually of fixed size. No, it's bigger than Kindle. It can just continue as many books as you can find. Just find them. If you happen to see a name that is similar to something mentioned in the Quran, and you, it's not mentioned elsewhere, add it there as a potential source. And over time, by the uh, we have this a huge amount of sources that apparently he had access to. And then to go back to your point, um, Paul, isn't only that he had access to all of these, managed them all, but the level of sophistication that, yeah, in fact, that level of sophistication isn't even known in 
modern scholarship, Western scholarship, because what happens when people discover new sources, you will find two effectively kind of main camps. There's those who focus on Jewish uh, background to the Quran and those who move to Syriac uh, sources, those who say more. And in the course of doing that, there's a very, it's not uncommon for the scholar X to uh, add to his, in his analysis or her analysis of whatever text in the Quran um, as they analyze it and trace it back to other sources. When they, when there's something they can't locate in other sources, they simply say, well, this must be, uh, must have come from sources that are not known to me at this point. This is not an uncommon kind of cautious remark. So we cover the whole Quran, even if we don't know and we have no evidence. Finally, there's obviously, having said all of that, there's no evidence whatsoever on the existence of this huge, huge amount of traditions in Arabia. <laughs> and I think I'll, uh, I'll end it at that point. Yes, yeah, so that's a, a nice conclusion. I think it's, a, yes, a, a remarkable point uh, that to explain on a, um, just it points strongly, of course, to a different source of that information rather than a uh, than the historical Muhammad. So thank you uh, very much indeed, Dr. Louis Fatouhi, um, uh, for fascinating and comprehensive and very forensic almost um, discussion of the uh, the Quran and the, uh, the book of Genesis when it comes to this extraordinary story of Prophet Joseph. Um, I, I rem- I'm reminded of, well, I'm not going to mention something else. I'm not going to mention that. So, but thank you very much indeed for um, your time indeed. And um, thank you until next thank time. You. Thank you very much. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.